Welcome to Puzzling Company, your home for at-home puzzles and mysteries. Here are your hosts, Jared and Zach. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time you're listening to The Puzzling Company. We are happy you are with us today. I am Jared, and with me, as always, is Zach. It's me. Bringing the energy, bringing the love. We are so excited. You guys are listening in and hanging out with us today. This is going to be a really cool episode, Zach. I know you know what we're talking about, but we had the opportunity to sync up with Exit the Game, which is a Thane and Cosmos series. Many of you listening are very familiar. This is one of the mass market series that has been around for a long time. And we got to strike up a pretty cool uh, arrangement with them where we're going to be playing their games in batches and really charting the advancement, the direction, the continuous commitment of a series that has been around since kind of the birth of at-home escape games. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to talk about that too much right now, but suffice to say, we are super excited to dive in. Hang around. We'll be right back. (sighs) I'm over it. Over what? Christmas. People can't let this holiday go, man. I'm still receiving Christmas-themed mail. Look at this red envelope I got yesterday. Jared, you are so uncultured. Uncultured? Because I refuse to celebrate Christmas year-round? No, you're uncultured because one, that color is scarlet, not red. And two, because that envelope is jammed-packed with puzzles and mysteries. Scarlet Envelope features escape room-style experiences that you may receive every month in the mail. Each episode features a different story, but all their experiences are tied together in a bigger narrative that you are trying to unravel. I think I could get down with Christmas all year. Well, head on over to scarletenvelope.ca to start your adventures today. Wow, what a great ad. <laughs> Zach's trying to keep it together. I'm trolling him. That's I'm stealing his. You're making you. fun of me? Yeah, I'm making fun of you. How dare you? Uh, stealing your normal intro into the first section. Uh, but yeah, like I mentioned in our in our intro, we are talking about Exit the Game, uh, the series from Dane and Cosmos, and here's how it's going to kind of work. We're going to be reviewing these games in batches of three, and what we're talking about today are the first three games that came out, and that is The Pharaoh's Tomb, The Abandoned Cabin, and The Secret Lab. Now, all three of these games were released at the same time, so there's not an order here, And these are actually some pretty renowned games. They won quite an award in 2017, Um, but we're going to let our guest later talk about that. But we're going to be diving in and talking about all three games. In the context of this, and a lot of what we're going to be talking about in this section and the next is, what does it look like to play a game that was developed in 2017 and released in 2017 in what we're in right now, which is 2021? So a lot of our... What we're talking about today is going to be, this really has held up that long. We This this has not. And that's kind of what we're going to be talking about in our first section today. So, Zach, why don't you, uh, why don't you kick us off as we look back to these first three games, which were kind of groundbreaking. What is still holding up to you? Yeah. Um, so the first thing that I thought was that the puzzles... So they're they're very diverse, and I thought they were all were pretty good. I think we maybe ran up on a puzzle that 
you know, we maybe struggled on our thought was a little on the weaker end, but for puzzles that were made in 2017, they held up. They, they were all were pretty great. Um, one of the things that we'll kind of talk about a little bit more as well is the space that you work with, with in the exit, the game, because they all come in a box, like a pretty small box. Uh, the amount of puzzles they can put into it surprises me. There is points where I was like, okay, well, I have an idea of how many, you know, cause I haven't played many of them before until we played these. And it was kind of fun because I was just trying to learn like really the format of them the one time we played before, at least that I've played. And I was surprised what they could do um, with some of the puzzles, with some of the the extra stuff in the box that, you you know, you wouldn't think about and all that stuff. Yes. And I, and I will say this full full disclosure for myself is I had actually played Pharaoh's Tomb and Secret Lab probably around the time that they came out. These were two of my first at-home games. Mm-hmm. Um, had forgotten so much. I was going to say, I think through our gameplay, I think you said at like two points that you remembered a puzzle. Yeah. But I mean, most of it you didn't remember. Did not remember. So anybody says that games aren't replayable, these games aren't replayable, I disagree. Give yourself enough time. <laughs> Just give yourself uh, four years. And, you'll, and it'll be a brand fresh new game to you. But uh, I just wanted to put that out there because I was seeing the game again through new eyes. Having played it in 17 and having played it again now in 2021, it was very interesting. And I do agree with Zach. Like looking at it, then all I could compare it against was escape rooms. That Mm -hmm. was the closest thing. But now having played so many games, it is interesting to see how it ties in. I do agree with you. There is a diverse and well-oriented group of puzzles, very robust in each of these games. The thing that I really appreciate, and I think this was them being way ahead of their time and also them really trying to be excellent, is they did a lot of things to take the game outside of the box. Yeah. Uh, And we've talked about in the last year, Box One. Mm -hmm. I think this game was doing a lot of the things that Box One did better, but it was kind of the starting point. Because mm-hmm. I feel like the easy route for the creators of this game would be like, okay, we're going to like just have everything be in the little booklet or in the little cards that they give you inside the game. Mm-hmm. But they they made it so ahead of its time, and I just appreciated that. Everything is fair game in Exit, and mm-hmm. the games vary in how they do that, but it's just such a good creative use of space that I I just really think that's worth mentioning because I think we're going to continue to see more and more of that in the mass market. A lot of games use not only the game components, but the box and the materials in it to accomplish its goals. I think it's genius. I think it's so smart. Yeah. I, it was fun. Cause you know, me and Jared, I, I have the least experience between the two it, overall. Um, it, it was fun. I think Jared, there was two parts where there's a little bit of uh, those elements in it. And there was one that I just, we did it and I didn't even think that would be possible. Like when we finished the puzzle, I was like, what does it mean? And I looked at it and it's like, Oh wow. It actually does let us do that, which I was really cool. And the other one I really liked a lot. I thought both uh, the two examples I'm thinking of were done extremely well. And like, yes. it, it reminded me very much of box one. It's, it's interactivity yeah. is what it is. Like I'll, I'll harken back to when we did enigmas, the card deck by David Kwong. There was no interactivity in that in that thing, and I think that's what we were kind of hoping more for, and that w- that was one of the critiques that we had of this deck. But to be one of the first people to markets and to put so much diversity of type of puzzle feeling to cram it into such a small, tight package, 
it's just really impressive. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and as you'll hear, these are the first three. There's another twenty something games in this series. Oh, yeah. So as we mentioned, we're going to be charting the growth and really how we see this series develop, which I'm really excited about. But Zach, what's the what was the final thing that we really liked playing these first three older games? I honestly really liked the answering system or the answering key in this game, as well as the hint system Uh, for the style that it is. The hint system comes in cards with a tiered hint system to try to help you all labeled with the specific puzzle that goes to it. Uh, Those are all really well done. You know, goes from very vague to clearly tells you exactly how the puzzle is supposed to be solved. The answering key is a cipher. Um, It is a, um, it's an exit the game's, uh normal yep that what i for one i know yes uh but it's just really well done it's a, it's a good cipher like and that's the part i find in, intriguing is that i keep reminding myself this was made in 2017 now cipher's been around forever sure but thinking of some of the other games and the games that we've played like that's a very good answering key where it feels unique and i like Every time we got a new cipher, I was like, okay, I'm excited to see how this works. And they're all different. Some of them gave you like all the information you needed. Some didn't, you know, like, so like one of them, we had to figure out how the cipher actually worked and how the number system worked. Yes. One had a bunch of random things on it that we were surprised, like trying to make the connection of why this is this, you know, like yes. it, it I, I thought it was really neat. Yeah. T- let's just even take away the game at this point and just look at the cipher wheel as an answering mechanism. Yeah. Really impressive. Mm-hmm. Like that from a logistical standpoint is like, okay, wow. Because if you put in the wrong thing, lead you to the wrong thing, you get a wrong, like it has to be made on such a fine edge mm-hmm. to get the correct things and then to package it all together. I just think it's really great. And yes, like you said, this is the origins of what we've seen in this type of genre of like a tiered hint system. Mm-hmm. Like, thank you for putting that in there at the beginning because You've heard us say it many times if you listen to it. There's so much value into slowly revealing more information through a tiered hint system. It -hmm. allows your players to take control of the amount of information they're getting before they're ready to solve. And again, I just think they're ahead of their time. And Mm -hmm. I think it was really well put together. But for all of the good, and hear me, there is a lot of good. We really enjoyed going back through these games for me and Zach playing them for the first time. Mm -hmm. These games aren't perfect. True. Uh, there is obviously, and there has been four years worth of growth since they first released these. And I know the creators were probably learning just the way that any new creator is learning to get to the products that we have on our shelves now. But Zach, open us up with what was lacking in some of these games that I think we'll see in the future, but we've got to judge these games based on today's time. Sure. I think narrative is a, is a minor thing in the original exits like um, a minor thing like we shouldn't consider it or like it just doesn't play a big role sure i think it doesn't play a big role um the narrative so to give you an idea because i don't want to spoil it in the games um the narrative basically tells you okay here's a theme and it does a decent job of explaining the theme like hey you are in the woods your car broke down you go to cabin you know uh you you magically wake up this happens um, but they make it very clear, and I think all three of the intros, that you are locked in a place of the theme, and you must solve puzzles to get out. They basically say that, I think, directly. It's like, hey, solve puzzles and riddles to get out. Um, after that, you know, the different puzzles are themed, 
but narrative doesn't really grow. It's more like, hey, you're locked in a themed place, solve puzzles that are in them, and at the end of the game, the narrative kind of moves forward a little bit, like being like, okay, you made it out of the secret lab. Like, hey, you got locked in a lab for doing test experiment. You know, you're doing a test experiment. You don't know what it is, though. You complete everything, and it goes, okay, well, congratulations. You, you made it out, you know. I mean, it's themed correctly, but it, it's just not a big four. Like, it's not big in these games, at least not in these three. They're kind of more in the background. Yeah, they were like starting points. Yeah, I mean, they, like I said, launching points. There's no, you don't gain new narrative through doing puzzles. You just gain. I did like that some of them were themed like more with the theme. So, like in um, in Pharaoh's tomb. A lot of the puzzles were very much themed around the Egyptian like gods and stuff like that, but they and the, like the kings and stuff. But they but they're not like narrative. It, you don't gain new information. It's just information helping you with the puzzle. Right, if that makes sense. And then you have like an ending, correct? When it wraps up, yeah. But it's uh, it all feels kind of benign. Hmm. It's just it's there. It sets the stage, and then you kind of are solving puzzles. Yeah, yep. I agree with you. Uh, the the part of the puzzling, and this will be moving into a new point for us that I struggle with within these three games of the exit series is the role that signposting plays or doesn't play Mm -hmm. because it feels like for a majority of the puzzles, the puzzle, one of the big aspects of puzzling that you get tripped up on is making the connection that this card that we got goes with this page of the manual. Mm -hmm. And if you can make that, you've oftentimes solved more than 50% of the puzzle. Yeah. So I feel like signposting originally, they were counting on, okay, part of the difficulty here is we're not going to tell them that this goes with this and they are going to have to figure that out and then solve the puzzle. And that's not always fun, especially at the beginning of the game where you have the entire booklet, which is fair game. And you're really wondering, like sometimes you're sitting looking at each other, like I have no idea. Later in the game, it becomes more obvious is because your options are limited. But I feel like more could be done to help you sink in the signposting. Now, there are symbols that are attached to everything. Mm -hmm. But even then, there are pages and some cards that are just completely out there. And it feels like the puzzles, once you get to the actual puzzle solving part, are good enough Mm -hmm. that if you could just help players make a little bit more of a connection, it would eliminate some of those leaps that you would have to make because i feel like that's where most of the hints just in people that i've talked to or playing myself it's like oh i would never have guessed that this was supposed to be tied to this until i took a hint um so again that could be a little bit subjective that there are some aha moments there if you're able to make that connection but early on it just seemed like that was one of the bigger aspects of the puzzling that just felt a little more raw would you agree yeah yeah what what's our uh, what's our final uh, constructive criticism, Zach? Yeah, so we're kind of going back to narrative again, uh, but basically the narrative interaction throughout the game. So with what? With puzzles. Okay. So we like I said we we've kind of talked about it already, but the idea is that the narrative doesn't really progress through the puzzles. So and and the puzzles don't necessarily fit. Some don't. Now, I what, some, some do and some don't, which is feels agreed. a little disjointed. Yeah, I mean, there's like I said, I think the thing they do well is it does fit into the theme of the game. Like you know, when you're in secret lab, it's a bunch of like lab equipment and right. chemicals. But but there but, are some that stick out like a sore thumb. Oh, correct. The point I'm making is that like 
there are many times in these games where I felt like the puzzles were at least masked well enough that I didn't feel too, but there were moments in like specifically secret lab. Cause that was the first one we played. And it was my, my first I've, I've played of these games in a while that I was like, okay, this feels like I'm doing a puzzle, like straight up just a puzzle. It doesn't feel interactive with the theme. I'm just doing a puzzle. Yes. And by the end I was like, okay, yeah, I literally just did like, it felt like I just did puzzles in a theme. Like you put me in a, like a themed room, but you gave me a lockbox. Yeah. That the, doesn't go with it. it. And you're like, it's like they had good content, but couldn't, like you said, mask it enough. And then they just ran out of steam. So 75% of the th- puzzles are on theme, but then like, uh, I'll, I, this won't reveal anything in secret lab. You run into like this flag puzzle and you're like, that doesn't, I don't know that that fits. Or I'm looking at one right now on our table for cabin and it is a very colorful grid of letters. And you're like, this is an old beat down, like serial killers cabin. Like that doesn't seem to jive together in terms of matching. Like it, it felt like you had a good puzzle and the puzzle was good, but you, you just had to figure out a way to get that in there, mm-hmm. which in my opinion, doesn't meet the highest criteria of some of the best games that we play. Yeah. Um, but I also do agree with you. Like, driving the story forward sometimes it's just kind of like you snuck that in there yeah yeah but but overall what would you i i think a lot more good than bad in these series i was very i was very happy by the end of it i was surprised to be honest just because like i said i think i come at it at a little bit of a different angle not expecting as much so when i came in i was like okay well obviously these have good remarks and like ones that i have played they were good um, but I didn't know what to see from the original games. I thought they were going to honestly be potentially not as good, like up sure. to date. And when we play like, to be honest, like secret lab was like, if I had to rate the three that I liked. Yeah, let's do that. Right. Give me your order. Like what was your favorite to least favorite of these? Three? It's interesting. Cause I know, um, our guest will talk about which one I think is the most popular currently of the, of the original three. I think my favorite, and, and just in terms of how we played them, I think Pharaoh's Tomb was my favorite, and then I th- really liked The Abandoned Cabin. Yes. And then my least favorite of the three was The Secret Lab. I'm saying, I would just swap Cabin and Lab. Like, I think... Uh, I you think, think Cabin's your least favorite? I think having... Uh, no, like, I think, it, I think I hyped it too much. Like, I, th- I think it's my fault. I think maybe if you asked a majority of people, Cabin would be ranked above Lab. But I definitely agree the Pharaoh's Tomb of these three has been my favorite. And what's really cool, once we get to the, once, if we ever do, Zach, catch all the way up. Oh, jeez. We're going to be releasing Zach and Jared's list of all of of the exit games, um, which is take it or leave it. But it could be a great uh, way for you to enjoy and find what you enjoy in these style of games. Mm -hmm. Well, that's going to wrap us up for our first section. Hang on for Puzzles to the People. Solve puzzles, write reviews, win prizes. It's time for Puzzles to the People. Zach, listen, man, we, we need to have a talk. Okay. What about? Well, I got your postcard in the mail, and I'm worried, man. Nothing made sense on it, and... There was even things in there that implicated you in some kind of larger conspiracy organization. Yeah, I really don't see what the problem with that is. Wait, wait, wait no, this this isn't how our ads work. You usually, this is the part where you say, oh, it's a game and crazy, Jared, and we do that whole little shtick. 
but you're not saying that this time, so is this true? Well, if you're curious to find out what is true, you should head over to theenigmaemporium.com and check out the Wish You Were Here series. Oh, so it is a game, right? Zach? Zach? Come on, man, what's true? All right, welcome back. We are now in the section Puzzles to the People. In this part, this is a section where we go over comments that people left about the games, like reviews that people have put about it, and sometimes just ask questions. Um, so for today, Jared is going to probably surprise me because generally every time we do one of these, Jared flips the format on me. It's kind of getting annoying to be honest. Please help. Um, but yeah, I, at this point, Jared will probably ask me and usually I answer the questions first. Um, you know, we flipped it up a little bit sometimes, but generally it's me and then Jared will ask me questions and then afterwards we'll discuss it. Kind of just do like a back and forth of like what we really think about the subject. That's what we do. That's how we roll. We're going to keep it pretty straightforward today. Okay. Just some questions um, as to continue our conversation about a series that was an origin for just the mass amounts of content that we see out today in this genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my initial question to you is I want to start with the award it won, the Kinnerspiel Award. Okay. Think back to 17. Mm-hmm. Think about some of the other things that you were playing because we weren't really playing these games. So think about some of your favorite board games, so forth and so on. This, These three games, you have to remember, it's not just any one of these, but these three games collectively won this award mm-hmm. against a host of other great regular style board games that came out. Why do you think that was? What about this really do you think hit home with this awards committee in 2017 to say like, this is, this is great. Hmm. I think a lot of it is creativity and originality at the time. Um, just because if I remember correctly, not many other series, like especially mass market were out at that point. That's correct. Um, so, you know, we talked about it, like these games still hold up to today. I think the amount of puzzles and creativity you can do with the box and the puzzles themselves and how solid they were really stands the test of time. And he back then proved it. it was like, hey, like these are escape rooms you can play at home and they're well done. And, you know, because it's interesting thinking about that, because I think of all the board games I, I played and I try to think of ones that came in around the same time. And some of them are fantastic. Some of my favorite games have came out in the last few years, uh, board game wise, and so it's it's very surprising to know that it beat out all those other games. But after playing these three, you could see how, like, especially back then when there wasn't as many of these, how these could have easily been huge hits, like just standouts. Yeah, compared to everything else, like everything else in the board game section is going to be board games, and then you you throw in an at home escape room style game that works very well. Yeah. It's, it's going to stand out like, you know, like a lot of things. I, I almost see it as like a, like it was a challenge, right? Mm-hmm. Cause we've talked before about the things that you lose compared to a normal escape room. When you pick up a game like this, like mm-hmm. you don't get the immersive environment. We've talked a whole episode about that. I don't want to yep. dive too back into it, but what it feels like the creators did, especially in Europe, because escape games were bigger in Europe before they were in the U S mm-hmm. is they said like, no, we can do this. 
So when this came to market and when people got to play it, I agree with you. They were like, people must've been like, oh, this can be done and be done at a very engaging high level. Because if you look statistically now in 2021, the amount of like top 100 Terpeka, which is enthusiast and voted, voted games, a majority of them, I think somewhere like 70% of these games are in Europe versus in America. Mm -hmm. So not only are we talking about like a much harder cr a crowd that I think has more of a sense of excellence than we do in the States for their puzzles and their games, mm -hmm. like they must have just blown it out of the water. Yeah. Like it must, I agree. It just, I think it was just so unique and it proved like, Hey, no, this can be a thing. And I think we, all the creators that are out there that like, I think they owe exit and other games that came out originally a debt of gratitude for doing it to the level that they did. Cause they kind of opened the gates mm. for so many of these other creations that we've seen. It gave it some validity. Would you agree with that? That kind of goes into my second question is, is exit creating validity for a lot of the other smaller developers that are out there? Yes. I mean, that's what mass market proves is that it's proving that it can work. Right. If it's exits, if it's unlock, you know, like all the other types, there's so many, um, Escape Room in a Box, you know, there's so many great examples of games that have started to make it big. And that clearly shows like, hey, this can work as a system. And I think it inspires a lot of people. I mean, there's probably a good bit, of, a decent amount of people that probably got inspired by playing other puzzle games or by maybe playing Exit, the game, and wanting to do that themselves. And it shows them like, hey, if this can hit shelves and sell, you know, millions or however many it sells, you know, you're like, okay, I could do it. I could do the same thing. Maybe not to, you know, as quickly, but you know, like it's that idea of like, if you want it, you can go get it. And it just validates it. The more that these types of games sell. I agree. And a lot of the, a uh, lot of the players that were there in the 16, 17s, uh, you know, blue matter games, mm -hmm. uh, wild optimist, the unlock series, even like when we were talking till Silvano, like yep. DV games was not far behind the, the trend there in 2017 and 18. They're still here now, mind you, it's been four years, three yeah. years, you know, we're not it's different. We're not, bit. we're not talking about the arc of like video games, which are movies or movies for, yeah. or anything. But I just feel like there is some encouragement that the Exit series has as many titles as it does in it, and it's continuing to that that ball is continuing to roll. Like it's it's I think it's continuing to opening doors. And for those that don't have as much market presence as they do, I think as long as they're putting out good games, this is good news for everybody in the community. Agreed. I think one of the other things that is starting to show even more validity is that you're getting collaborations with other bigger companies or big brands, right? Um, an example being, you know, Unlock has Star Wars, yes. like branded games Absolutely. now. And I've heard uh, that our guest may tell us a little bit about what uh, Exit might be working with. Oh, you'll definitely want to stick around for our interview to hear about some IP being released. Yes, but that to me is what's proving even crazier to today. Like, you know, it might have validated it back in 2017 when it started, when they won the awards and were doing really well. But like nowadays you have like Neil Patrick Harris creating Box One with a card, you know, with, with a card company. Um, you know, or, you know, obviously a very good one, magic cards and all that. Um, 
you have uh, Unlock with Star Wars and then uh, Insert IP uh, with Exit. Like those just go, okay, it's starting to now get really big when you can start getting like big people to start joining along and yes. they see and they see it's worth it because you know those big people you know you know they do a lot of collaboration with a lot of other companies don't don't get me wrong but they see it valuable if they do work with it at the at home escape room puzzle games that's pretty cool yes so what i want to do now because we've seen their praises a lot mm-hmm. and i think that's well deserved what i want to talk about some of the ways maybe inadvertently that exit uh, creates issues for some of the rest of us in the community. Um, and I, I, issues is a strong word too, because in talking to the people from the things and commos, they're great people. They love the game industry. They want to see it grow. They understand that stuff is trickling down, but inevitably, and this is part of my argument. I want you to agree or disagree with this at, I think when you own so much of the market, you can do some damage inevitably or just kind of funnel the ability to see different types of games. So here's what I mean by this. Let me clarify exit for a long time for their first 15 boxes, let's say has stuck to a very rigid format, right? It is the cards. It is the cipher wheel. And Mm. we like that, but let's say someone switches from the exit game to one of the many other formats that you and I have played through. There's a broad spectrum of those things. Mm -hmm. And now they're like, Oh, well I expect it to be this way. Sure. Is that a problem with exit? Is that a problem with the consumer? Is that something that we even need to waste our time talking about? It's interesting. That's a good question. I think when you own a majority of, let's say like of an audience, of the people who play these games. So if you're like exit, who's been around for a very long time and who has formulated a, a, a system and people are very used to it and they play other games, there's always a small bit that will happen because of them. Not that they do it on purpose. I think that is the big key in all this is that I, you know, when I, when I think about your specific example of like, okay, if I'm a consumer and I play only exits forever and then I play it unlock, right. Or I play, a box one or I play whatever, what other game, you know, if I play a, you know, a Kraken on mysteries game, whatever you, you play one of those and it's completely different in format. Is it someone's fault? No, I think it is on you to realize this. Um, because I think sometimes you, you naturally do that. I mean, we've played games and I know I have where I expect a certain system and then I get surprised when it's not that system, you know, but is it really a company's fault? inadvertently or advertently um that they did that no i think that is just a consumer being used to a certain product and wanting more of it so they try other things and they realize it's not the exact same way it it is the same theme in terms of it's an escape room at home or a puzzle game so on and so forth but you're no one's exactly the same or else they wouldn't be different companies you know if i played exit the game and then i went and played Society of Curiosities, which are completely different experiences. But if I went and it was the exact same, that's weird. Uh, to me, that's really a weird concept, you know, but I, but also we're very much experienced with all the different types of games. I could, it's hard to now look back at it as if I was just someone who only played exit and then tried playing something new, how I feel. Right. But I, but my realistic part of me goes, well, you, you're playing something else. You're not playing exit. Not everyone is exit, you know? 
you just have to understand that games are very different. Everyone has a creative means of trying new things. And that's a lot of the fun to me is how Exit and other experiences are completely different. How Exit does some of them really well, but how that inadvertently makes me think this is how I think the other games will go. Right. No, I, I think that's fair. And and I want to be clear. I'm not dogging on it. I just, I'm trying to dig into a little bit of the nuances with when we look at some of our mass market games, they are touching more people yeah. than uh, a lot of the indie designers that we have on the scene. And I think your and I opinion is that some of these indie formats are superior to some of the mass market formats, not speaking specifically in there, but by and large, our mass market uh, peers are going to be determining what a lot of people have in terms of expectations. Well, yeah, it's interesting because um, this, you know, that question comes up a lot, actually. We so we were lucky enough to to host a panel on Recon and we actually had Nick and Rebecca from Blue Matter Games on. And it's something that um, Nick talked about a lot. It's that interesting concept of being, well, we think, you know, for us, we think the indie format is better, like is a more interactive or more narrative based experience. Sure. There's a lot more to it. The issue though, you know, Nick brought up a lot, which it was really intriguing to hear is the issue of creating games for everyone. Yes. You're, you're looking for a whole different audience. It feels like now the, the indie people do want a lot of people to see it, but you make it for people who enjoy those games. I think the intriguing part for like Exit or Blue Matter or Unlock or any of the really big ones, Wild Optimus, is you want to make those for people who enjoy them, but you have to consider everyone. You have to go, okay, well, uh, you know, this person does really good at puzzles, but this one doesn't. This one really likes narrative, but this person doesn't care about narrative. This one, th- this puzzle is really easy for him. This one thinks it's the most difficult puzzle in the world. How do you feed everyone? A good experience. Yeah, how do you, it, it, and then the answer is you can't. Correct. That's, but that's an intriguing question. It's that fun bit of being like, what is correct? What's the right format? You know, because I think some of the formats that we enjoy the most fit for us. Correct. Yes, agree. But if I gave any of these experiences to someone who a didn't have the time, or b thought it was too complex to learn quickly their experience goes away immediately. They, they don't care, right? The fun of these games sometimes is that they're more simple in terms of the complexity and made to be done quick because people don't realistically have time to... A lot of people that you're looking for in the, in the consumer audience that isn't people like us, some puzzle enthusiasts, stuff like that, they don't have four hours or a weekend to play a game, realistically. They might if they plan for it, but most people don't. You know, they have other things or they want to play with their family for like a quick night. So having games like Exit, you know, Unlock, Blue Matter, you know, all those types of games that are more like here's a box. Everything you need is inside the box or involves the box. And it's an hour long. Yeah. Solid. It gives everyone a good experience. But it's just it's just hard because you see it. You go, well, games could be so much bigger and more narrative based and have a bigger box. But then price goes up the experience changes dramatically and becomes potentially more too complex for the consumer. 
that you're looking for. Yes. Well, and and I think it's I think it's two different things, mm-hmm. right? There is, and we would agree with this. There is the subjectivity of what everybody likes. Correct. And I agree with you. That is ten times harder for the mass market creator who is, has millions of people that they're trying to get this to. Yeah. But the other part of this is the industry has to move forward in a lot of different areas to stay relevant. That's true of any industry. Agreed. Right. If you are trying to keep up with technology, keep up with popular interest, you have got to keep evolving as your market evolves. Mm-hmm. So all I'm saying is in regards, I think the indie crowd has locked into some of those evolutions a little bit quicker oh, than some of the mass markets, even though they have the inverse challenge of saying like, well, maybe not everybody in the mass market is ready. But it's this interesting influx of seeing how each size market is going to adapt to each other in order to continue heading in the right direction, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, let's say I'm a new indie company and I've got a small to medium market. Most of my players probably have already played a mass market game and now they're looking for something. Mm-hmm. Can I get them hooked on my specific format, on my specific type of puzzling? Like, what can I take them to next? And then collectively, where are we all trying to go? Because if let's take Exit, for example, their newest games are jigsaw based, right? And that is a that's a format switch. Like that's encouraging to me. Like I don't like things that stay in a static, non-evolved way in terms of games. Yeah, sometimes you play too safe. Right. Sometimes you play too safe. But it's encouraging to me to see like Exit is taking chances on different formats. Uh, we've got some games that we're going to be reviewing at the beginning of next week that are long-standing mass markets. They're making switches too. Mm. I love to see the next iteration of what people are doing because if you're not iterating, if you're throwing the same old format content out there, you're in a downward trajectory. Mm. You know, and Exit does have a good long games that the theme changed, and I think that's good too to have many different themes. But I'm excited to see that everything is evolving, that it's changing, that it's taking risks with different formats Mm -hmm. and collectively. I think that's good advice for anybody out there is keep giving people different looks, different themes, different ideas, different concepts, formats. The diversity of things is never a bad thing as long as it's not for just the sake of, Oh, well we wanted to try something different. I think the market needs to play a little bit of a role into why we're changing what we're changing. Unless Mm -hmm. you just have the time and money to make whatever you want for the sake of making it, then go for it. I wish I was in that type of situation. Same. All right. Well, that's going to wrap us up for uh, Puzzles to the People. Hang out next. We've got questions for marketers. Hang with us. There are some awesome people who make the puzzles we love to solve. This is Questions for Creators. Dude, I played the best game last night. Um, Jared, I thought we played all our games together. Well, well, traditionally we do, but this game was designed to be played by yourself. It's called Box One, and it's a new game from Neil Patrick Harris and Theory 11. Jared, I'm hurt. What am I supposed to just believe that there's clearly this made-up story of a game that's meant for only one person? And you couldn't even come up with something more clever than just Box One. Okay, you know what? I'm done. Call me when there's a Box Two. Well, if you're not salty and you're looking for a truly awesome single-player experience... Head to your local Target to pick up Box One. If you don't have or know what Target is, beg Angela Lawson-Scott to ship you a copy internationally.
Welcome back, everybody. As I said, this is not questions for creators. What? Well, in the future, we will have Inca and Marcus, the creators, on the show. We're excited about that. But with a game that has so many titles and just the industry at whole, we thought it would be really cool moving into our next routine of episodes if we really brought in people that were in different roles a marketer, a distributor, a developer, a game tester. We're going to have a lot of different people interviewing in our questions for creators moving forward. Always still having creators be the majority because that's who we enjoy hearing from. But we think there's a lot to glean when we hear from different people that are holding different positions. Now, if you're a small indie creator listening, you're like, yeah, I, that's me. Like, are you the marketer? Yes. Are you the creator, the developer? Yes. And all those things. But I think it's good to have very pinpointed insights from people who just do X, right? Well, I think fun of the the fun part with this is you know we we've luckily been able to have a deal with Exit to cover you know to try to cover all the games right in in patches. So it is it is cool that every time we have someone on, it's not the same person saying the exact same yes. thing. I think it gives people a new insight to every level of it. Like what, like you said, what does the marketer think about these? What do they do? What does, you know, the person who creates them, what's the play tester do? Like what is their process of how they play the game? Absolutely. All that stuff's very cool. So I think it's really cool that today we have uh, somebody from the advertising and marketing department here and uh, let's get to know them a little bit. So if you'll start, tell us your name, what your position within the company is, and how long you've been there. Yeah, my name is uh, Tom Wetzel. I work for Thames and Cosmos, uh, and I've been working here as a marketing coordinator for five years. So that means you were there when Exit started, right? I was. I was there when my boss sent me an email saying, hey, Tom, have you heard about escape rooms? And I said, I said I, I, yes, I have. And I'm, I'm very interested in where this conversation is going. So give us more insight into what it was like in 2017 when the games were coming out. What were, what were y'all experiencing? So we weren't the first. Uh, there, was a, there was a competitor who, who beat us to the market, but it was a little bit more to like aim towards kids. Or at least that's how it felt to me because I'd played it before. And that was kind of the response I had. It says, you know, I play them. I think they're a lot of fun. Uh, I think that there's a, a definitely, as you know, a market for it. So we should look into it. And I didn't know at the time, but he'd already been in conversation with some of the designers who had some really novel and cool ideas on, on how to make an escape room game in a box that is the backbone of what Exit the Game is now. I feel like there's so many different games for Exit, but how many Exit games are currently available? So there are 20 available right now, and we still have two more coming out later this year. Talk to us about, as a marketer, who who are you targeting? Do you have a very specific vein? Like, it's this, it's this type of person, it's this demographic. What does that look like? Like, what? It, wh- who are you trying to get after? So when we started marketing these games we were marketing the hobby gamers and also those who were already going to escape room like physical escape rooms that was our original audience but that has changed because we have sold quite a few um worldwide we sold over five million copies of exit the game so as you can imagine uh our audience has grown and in fact i i, I know 
my my sister-in-law who who is not in any part of those demographics that you would think like she's a hairdresser and she's you know she's she's got like a little bit more of like i want to say like a a fun kind of like going to the beach kind of vibe um and uh she texted me she's like i finally played one of those games and they're great all of my girlfriends loved it so i think that the audience is growing and incorporating basically everybody is it different marketing an escape style game versus some of the other titles that Thames and Cosmos makes? Yes. And to begin with, we did keep we we did market them very similarly, but it has changed. We will still continue to market this uh series to the, the exit game series to the hobby gamers, the local game stores, and like I said, uh, also uh we we try to sell to physical escape room games. Um locations so that they can sell these games at their store we're going to continue to do that but kind of like i already said like we're really opening it up we're we're adding um advertisements to like podcasts like like paid advertisement on some major podcasts because we're really just reaching out to everyone and and that's yeah so most of our board games i would say we're going to continue to focus on just the hobby gamers whereas exit the game because of its reach we're going after everyone so in terms of sales, can you compare Exit to the other games? Is this your number one? This is what is selling more than anything? Or are there some board games that Thames and Cosmos sells that are really rivaling it? I like to say that there's a big pie and we all have a big piece of it, right? Because there are some really good alternate uh, escape room games in a box options out there. And I'm in a bubble a little bit. Right, because I work for this company, but I talk to my distributors, uh, who who sell all the different ones, and they're all huge fans of our game. Not only just because of the gameplay and and the, the clever riddles, but also I think we sell, if not as good, at least or in, at least as good, and in many cases much better than the competition. Um, yeah. So, what gives Exit an edge over a competition? Yeah, so a couple things, I guess. The first one is that there's uh, no app involved in ours. And I think a lot of people really appreciate that because sometimes they want to just unplug, and this is a good way to do that. That's the first difference between some of our competitors. Uh, also, I feel like our puzzles are very clever. The We have a full team working on these games. There's, there's two designers on all of them, Inca and Marcus Brandt. They come up with... a majority of the riddles but we have an editorial team that goes through each one of these so the the quality of the games the riddles all of that i think hitting the mark again and again and again 20 times means that we're that that's another thing that sets us apart and also we just have a lot of themes we haven't pigeonholed ourselves into like one type of game like we have one where you get stuck on a roller coaster roller coaster one that you get stuck in the catacombs one that you get stuck in a pole, I mean, Egyptian tombs, everything. Like, I think that there's a theme for everyone. And that's often the way people get into it is they'll see a theme that they really like. And like, I got to try that. And then they're hooked. When it comes to marketing these games, what have you found to be successful? Is there specific places you're trying to get it listed? What's the strategy of marketing an escape room style game? Well, we had um, a very great start to this and and i should mention that one of the big reasons that this this particular the exit the game brand 
was hit the ground running is because we won a very prestigious German board game award. Unfortunately, not everyone can win that. In fact, one game a year. And that wasn't just like between other puzzle games. That was just like considered the connoisseur game of the year. Uh, so, so that really kind of helped us get, like I said, a kickstart as far as marketing goes. But now I would say a big part of our marketing is still core hobbyists, which means we're advertising on web pages like Board Game Geek. We're um, promoting it through popular YouTube channels like the Dice Tower and Watch Played and a bunch of those, you know, the big names, Rado. I, I, there's, I, I feel bad now that I started mentioning them because I won't mention all of them, but I won't. Um, and, <laughs> um, and then, like I said, also, um, uh, we go to, or maybe I didn't say this, we go to conventions and, and a big section of our booth is always dedicated to the Exit the Game series. So how does your job interact with like the quantities that you create? Like, does your job have a like deciding factor, like play into like how many you make and why you make that game? So I'm only peripheral involved in those conversations. I don't make the final call on how many we order, but I do have strong relationships with our distributors. So I bring that to the table and my distributors uh, are always eager for more. Like if we order, we, we haven't, we have never been able to order too many. We always sell through whatever we get uh, before we can replenish it. And I've actually had conversations with distributors saying that that's actually good, but because it, it creates this like false sense of, of rarity between certain titles. I don't like that. I don't like playing that game. I want to make them all available all the time. And so, yeah, so I come to the table in that conversation, just saying like, let's double it, let's triple it every single time. <laughs> So if you had to look into your crystal ball and predict the popularity of escape room style games moving forward, what would you say? Obviously, we saw a big surge from the pandemic, but what's the outlook as you gaze into the future? That's a really good question. I wish I had a crystal ball, but I do think I have a pretty good idea of, of what's going to happen. So you're right. The pandemic did give our, our game series a boost. Our, actually all board games got a boost during the pandemic because people were stuck home and wanted something to do. Uh, we've seen this before, though. Uh, similar, at least. Uh, back in the recession, a lot of people were staying home. They weren't going out to the movies. They weren't going out to dinner. Board game sales actually increased during the recession. And a lot of those um, customers that we acquired at that time hung on to board games. So I don't think that we're going to take any back steps as far as that goes. I think we're going to retain a lot of those customers. and. We won't see quite the boom this coming year as we saw last year, but I think it will continue in its upward progress, right? Another comparison I like to make is with comic books. I'm sure you remember when uh, comic books, I mean, you know, when I was a kid, comic books were popular, but they weren't what they are today, especially with things like Comic-Con. Uh, and that happened and everyone thought it was this big bubble and it was going to burst and all the comic books were going to be left, you know, like, dry without any customers anymore. Well, that didn't happen. Like, yeah, the boom kind of slowed down, but comic books are still very, very popular. And I can only see that same kind of, maybe not in that grand scale, but maybe um, that same kind of pattern, I think is going to happen with the escape room games and specifically uh, the take home games. Now the physical games, I, I, I think that's a harder one. I don't have my finger on the pulse of that one as much. 
as a marketer, talk to us about like the challenges of your job. So, boy, I mean, in, in, in a lot of cases, I have a great job because I have a, these games kind of like sell themselves, right? Mm-hmm. The, the only real hard part is introducing them to new people. Some of that comes naturally just because, you know, we have these uh, fans who are, you know, advocating for us to their friends and their family, and then that continues to grow. It happens naturally. And also we're in some of the bigger stores. So that also helps just get, you know, more eyeballs on the product that helps. But um, there's, there are obviously huge pockets of, of people who still don't know about us. And that's the challenging thing. How do I access that group? Um, and I don't even have like a demographic necessarily. It's just, you know, someone who's not yet heard of our games and I don't even know who they are. So I need to figure out who they are and how to advertise to them. What can we expect from the future of the exit series? I don't want to ask you to reveal anything you can't, but can you give us an idea of what's coming out in the next little bit? I, I don't know everything. Uh, I, I, the, so, but this is kind of a, a little bit of insight. Uh, the, the jigsaw puzzle thing, that was actually in the works years and years ago before jigsaw puzzles became super popular during the pandemic. So a lot, this is, this is the uh, very um, special brand for our company. So things that we do, we take a lot of time to, to research and, and develop them. So we were lucky in that the, the jigsaw puzzle thing happened when it did. That was just, you know, luck. And we do have more of those scheduled because they're doing so well. And similar to what I said earlier, I think we've just caught a lot of new fans with some of these uh, jigsaw puzzle games. So yeah, the, the, the sales are gonna continue to increase there. That being said, I think uh, it's possible we'll see more format changes. I also think it's possible that uh, we may see some, some IPs, some strong you know, intellectual properties coming out. Um, you know, no spoilers there, cause I don't actually know, but there's, you know, talk amongst the, the company, of some really cool stuff. And uh, that, I think, is just a great way to, to capture more uh, uh, of the audience as well, just because we'll be on more people's radar if we do something, you know, that more people are familiar with and just catches their attention. So I, I will sp- spill the beans on this because I'm not the first. My, my German company, uh, the, the parent company, released an image on Instagram just a little while ago. And I think it didn't catch a lot of people's attention because the box was blank. But then it said in the description, you know, coming in 20, I think it said 2022 is uh, uh, the um, uh, Lord of the Rings. It's hard to get bigger than that, right? And a question we ask everyone, what are you playing? If that's a board game and an escape room style game, if that's video games, what are you playing that you would recommend to other people? Oh, that's a really good question. So I have just started getting back with my board game group. And uh, we, so we, we, uh, we're, we're trying to work through all the games that everyone bought during the pandemic, right? I'm not, I, I love to like really like get into a game and play it like five or six times and then, you know, learn it and just like really sink my teeth into it. I'm not doing that so much right now. I'm, I'm actually like kind of turning through a, a bunch of, of stuff. Uh, that said, I'm always uh, play testing the games in the office as well. So, for instance, and I know that this doesn't really count, 
but this is what I do, right? Um, I'm playtesting all the new exit games, all of our adventure games that are similar to the exit games. Um, playtesting some games like The Adventures of Robin Hood, which was just nominated for that big German award that I told you about earlier. It's a new game that we're coming out with later this year. So I'm playtesting that a lot. Um, and those are games that will be available soon. Yeah. And, and my favorite game that uh, I get to the table pretty fr frequently is, and, and this is bad because it's one of our games, but I'm being genuine here, uh, Legends of Andor. It, it is at the top of my list, and I absolutely love it. It's a, it's a more, it feels like a campaign game, like Dungeons and the Dragon, Dungeons and Dragons, um, but it's not. It's not a role player game, and and that's one of the things I like about it is I can take it and play with anybody because it's a, it's a, one thing like you play it once, it's an hour to two hours, and then you pack it up. You can play it again, but you don't have to spend, you know, every day or every week coming back to the same people, but it gives me that, it, it scratches that same itch. Tom, thanks so much for taking the time and answering our questions. I love hearing from somebody in your position because I feel like you just get to see things from 30,000 feet. Mm -hmm. And it's really encouraging to hear that you see a bright future in this genre of game that we care about so much. So thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. We'll hope to talk to you again in the future. If you haven't played and exit the game yet, super easy. Head to Amazon. You can find them there. Pick one up. They're very inexpensive. They go on sale quite often. You can usually pick one up, uh, depending on the title, for about under $15. Mm. And uh, just think about it. Research when the game came out. Think about how it still plays to some of the stuff that we're seeing here in 2021. And if you have any thoughts about that, be sure to hit us up. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Puzzling Company, Instagram, www.puzzlingcompany.com. And if you could, please, please get on your phone right now, open up that podcast app, give us a review, subscribe to us. All of that is helping us. We're really excited about the future of the podcast and we need your help in growing it. Uh, but for us, I think that's going to wrap us up today. Zach, you got any final thoughts about all this? It was a blast. I'm very excited to play more of them. And I think we'll probably have those come out quarterly. We'll do about three games every three months, something like that. I think that'd be pretty good. Uh, but what's coming up uh, next week? It's interesting. You could say some of these things that we're trying to solve have kind of gone to the wayside for a while. They might have became cold. So oh. maybe we'll have to crack some cold cases. I think we are. We are. We're Next week, we're diving into cold case crackers. Uh, we're very excited to jump, as we have been, into a little bit of a crime vein. Mm -hmm. Always looking to solve a case. I mm -hmm. feel like our talents are needed. It's true. It's true. And so it's, let, let's get out there. Let's solve some cases. As the winner of Crew versus Crew, <laughs> I will lead us to victory. Oh, I just, I'm waiting for that to just go away. Oh, it never will. It never will. Thank you for hanging out with us today. For Jared and Zach, this has been Puzzling Company. See you guys. Thanks for listening. Find us on social media at Puzzling Company and online at puzzlingcompany.com. Check back weekly for new episodes. Until next time, keep puzzling. This has been a Globe Media Network Podcast.